11 o'clock on Sunday mornings is the most diverse time in the United States of America. And I strongly believe in that statement, but actually I'm gonna push that statement back. Because if you go at 11 o'clock in the morning to Mercedes-Benz Stadium for a Falcons football game, you see all colors in those stands. If you go to the food court of the Mall of Georgia at 11 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, you have people from all nations eating at, well, not Chick-fil-A because it's closed, <laughs> but, but eating at whatever it is that it's open in the Mall of Georgia in the food court. Yet it is in the churches when that segregation takes place. It is not perhaps in the streets. If you go to a soccer game from GSA or a flag football game or a basketball game, you look at the stand, you look like the field, and it's all kind of colors in those places. But it is in the church yet that we have continued to find ways to segregate people. Been in this country for nearly 14 years. And I remember the first months that I was in this country, I faced constantly one question. People will ask me, so, so what are you? And I was like, like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, like, what are you? What, what do we call you? Like, well, like, I have a name. You can call me Rodrigo. You may not be able to roll the R, but that's your problem. That's not my problem. <laughs> but you can call me by my name. So, no, but, but, but what do we call you? Can we call you Hispanic? Or, or can we call you Latino? What is the politically correct name for that? And I was like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, five minutes ago, I have no idea that I was Hispanic or I have no idea that I was Latino. I was born in Mexico in a country full of Mexicans, so as far as I know, I'm Mexican. But no, but, but in here, you have to choose. And, and people were generally asking me, people weren't trying to be jerks, I mean, they were generally asking me, like, people like you, what do, what do we call them? And they would say, like, your people, what do we call them? Like, well, they have names. Figure out their names. But the reality is that, you know, in 2020, that was in 2006, but it's still 2020, we still have to talk about this concept of race, about this concept of diversity. I have uh, said this statement before, and I, and I continue to stand by it, although I have changed a little bit my beliefs. I used to say all the time, if you don't like diversity, you're not going to like heaven. Okay. And the more that I have put thoughts into that, actually I have changed that statement. And now my beliefs, it is if you don't like diversity, you're not going to make it to heaven. And, and let me tell you generally why I believe that. I was born in Monterey, Mexico. So I am Mexican or Hispanic, Latino, whatever people want to call me, that's fine. Kelly, my wife, she was born in California. She's, a, she's an Anglo or Caucasian or white or gringa, whatever people want to call her. <laughs> Three of our kids were what people call Mexican-American. Which, by the way, if you're raising second generations of kids, I mean, my heart goes to you because it is so hard for them 
to adapt in this country. Because when they are surrounded, my kids, with Mexican people, they have to prove how Mexican they are. And when they are surrounded by Americans, they have to prove how Americans they are. And it is an extremely tough circumstance for those. But at the end of the day, I am Mexican, my wife is Caucasian, my three kids, older kids, are biracial, Mexican-Americans, and our youngest one is Chinese. And, and, and I'll say this seriously. I will not be working for God if I believe that when I get to heaven, I will not be able to hug and kiss my kids. If I genuinely believe that when I go to heaven, we're going to be segregated because of races, which means each one of us will be in different categories. And I'm not able to hug them and kiss them every time I want. It just makes no sense to me. That's why I strongly believe that in heaven I'm going to have that ability. I'm going to have that gift. I'm going to have that blessing to help my kids even though they're a different race than I am. So I believe heaven is going to be diverse. And if we preach all the time, God, your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Why on earth is not taking place that? Why on earth we're still dividing people based on the ringtone of their accents, based on the pigmentation of their skin, based on their ethnic traits? It makes just no sense. My understanding of God doesn't comprehend that. My understanding of who God is doesn't comprehend the fact that God created one group of people to be better than another group of people. That God created one group of people to be superiors over another group of people. It just makes no sense for who, God, who I think God is. So you may be wondering, okay, Pastor, we, we get it. How, how do we move forward? You know, because here at the net, this is, this is one of our core values. And if we believe in nations experiencing transformation, if that is our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ, the question is, how do we live into our mission in the midst of this diversity? You see, people may used to think that in, when I grew up in Mexico, and we were told stories about you know, Columbus Day or learning about other cultures, there was only one way for me to learn about other cultures, and it was through books. They would show me pictures of how, you know, what Chinese kids look like, you know, what kids in Africa look like, what kids in other countries in America look like, what American kids look like. That's the way I grew up learning about kids around the world. The way my kids learn about kids around the world, they literally just have to pick up their head and look around their classroom. And that's it. They don't have to go to the middle of another continent to discover what somebody from that continent looked like. They are in their class. They play sports with them. They go to the same Chick-fil-A. They go to the same grocery store. They do life together. They go and trick or treat in their house, or those kids come and trick or treat in our house. We don't have to go around the world to see the world. The world is around us. So what do we do with that fact? And often I said, you know, the answer is in the Bible. 
And, and I believe that is the case. We're going to talk this morning about a church, the church in Antioch, and how they did ministry. You see, we believe that Jesus came on earth and he hung out with his disciples. And in Acts 1.8, that's a critical Bible verse for us as a church, he told them, go to where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the world. He gave them very specific instructions of where to go to preach the good news. It's almost like if he had said, go to Lilburn, to downtown Atlanta, to Nashville, Tennessee, and then to the other 50 states in the country. That's pretty simple of what you're supposed to be doing. And somehow for the first chapters, for the first 10 chapters in Acts, something got lost in translation. Because all they did was just hang around Jerusalem. Somehow Judea didn't happen. Samaria didn't happen. The end of the world didn't happen. And in Acts 11, this is where we are. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. You see, these guys didn't start a church and then come up with a mission statement for their church. With that pretty much the trend around America. Okay, let's start a church and then let's come up with something that we do. And then in 2021, we come up with another thing that we do. And then in 2022, we come up with another thing that we do. These guys started with a mission and by result, they end up with a church. This is what we have to do. We have to go and bear witness of who Jesus was. And in order to do that in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the world, we have to do something about it. You see, in Bible times, Antioch was located in the north part of this peninsula. You can see it right under number four. And it was located in a critical point for trademark to take place. Meaning people from Asia, from Africa, from all over the regions, they had to go to Antioch in order to do their business. It's almost like Atlanta right now. We have one of the biggest airports around the world. We have massive corporations moving here to Atlanta or being started here in Atlanta. And by consequence, we have people from all over the world coming here. You're looking at the similarities? That's how it was Antioch. Now, with a diverse group of people, what also bring, you know, a group of diverse people, a group of different religions, different beliefs, different moral values, and all those dynamics that make cities, uh, cosmopolitan cities, metropolitan cities, very interesting. And that is something very similar that we have here in Atlanta. The church in Antioch, they didn't seek for diversity. It happened. It literally happened because how 
where they were situated, but they didn't shy away from it. They embraced it. Y'all, people from all over the world are here in Gwinnett County. And they didn't ask you, and they didn't ask me. 25% of the population in Gwinnett County was born outside the United States. 65% of the kids in Gwinnett County are non-white. There's over 50 languages speaking in our school systems. It happened. And, and, and those who have been in Gwinnett County longer, you have seen it happen. Those of us who just show up a couple of years ago, we just happened to see it. The question is, are we going to shy away from it? Or are we going to embrace it? You see, the church in Antioch, they understood that if God wanted to reach out the people around them, they needed to cross all kinds of barriers. Racial, linguistic, cultural, socioeconomic class. There was only one way how the church was going to be able to reach people that don't look like them. Because if you change nothing, what happens? Nothing changes. The next two verses in this story says this. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessings, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. There's a line in there that just gives me goosebumps. And it says, when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing. I'll tell you as a pastor, that is, that is as good as it gets. You know, everybody's wondering when Jesus is coming back. I mean, for me, my biggest concern is not Jesus when he's coming back, when, how, or that. At the end of the day, the Bible says that every eye will see. My biggest concern is when Jesus comes back, what is he going to find out in the church? And I hope he can see evidence of God's blessing. We use this term right now, and that's why we start this sermon series, casting the net. And those who are fishermen or fisherwomen, uh, Know that when you cast the net into the water, you don't pick and choose what you get. I don't know a lot about fishes, so maybe you get tuna, maybe you get, what else? Somebody help me, I only know tuna. <laughs> a shark, a salmon, and probably you're going to get a shoe and a, and a canned beer, and you're going to get all kind of random stuff. And you don't pick and choose what you get. You cast the net and you roll them in. That is the biblical mandate of the church. So I'm not going to give you five quick things that I believe the net church strongly believes. And I want you to take with you today. The net church believes in being a community of faith that is of the people, for the people, and by the people. And I know that sounds like a commercial of Ken Nugent or one of those lawyers uh, or State Farm or whoever it is that make those statements. But that's what we believe in this church. A church that is of the people, for the people, by the people. 
We believe in a community where those who wander in the city can walk, work, and worship together. You see, we don't, we don't just want to hang out with people that don't look like us. We want to walk life together. We want to work for the sake of the gospel. We want to worship the one God and creator. We believe in a community of faith that connects with people and celebrates people of all ethnicities, races, languages, and cultures. Not just where we see them, but where we embrace them and where we celebrate them. We believe in a church that utilizes these racial and cultural differences and gifts to restore relationships across social and economic divisions. You see, the brokenness in the world happened before you and I show up. The question is, what are we going to do? I have four kids, and, and I have seen them when they walk into a room, and it's a mess. What do they do when they don't, when they, and I say, clean the mess. What is the first thing they say? I didn't do it. And they'll stop blaming one another. And I say, guys, like, there's only four of you. I mean, at some point, somebody has to own it. And they usually, you know, they stuck it to the little one, right? <laughs> and they'll, you know, they'll say, hey, if you take it, you know, we'll give you a candy or something like that. We didn't break this world. But what are we going to do about it? It's broken. There is brokenness around us. The Net Church believes in a community of faith that intentionally announces the good news of the kingdom of God to all nations striving for peace and justice throughout our global community. Around seven years ago, I was in my previous church, and there were two gentlemen then. They were best friends. They've been in that particular church for over 20 years. And they served together, their families traveled together. They were literally best friends. And they both were great men that loved Jesus. And every single time when I was with them, they would ask me a question. So, Pastor, was Jesus black or white? You see, they, they believe in Jesus' resurrection. They believe in Jesus' announcement. They believe in Jesus' lordship. That wasn't an issue. But one of them genuinely believed that Jesus was black, and the other one genuinely believed that Jesus was white. And every single time I will see them, when I go to their Sunday school class or when I was you know, greeting them at the door, they will ask me, Pastor, was Jesus white or black? And the first couple of times I would just you know, chuckle and you know, dismiss it or... Then things that were start getting serious. He said, you need to tell us what do you think. So I would just always like fake a phone call, like, hello, hello, I have to go back. And, and I would just, you know, didn't really put thought into that. And at some point I said, you know, these guys deserve my best shot to, to give them my best shot of that answer. And I said, so next time that I see them, I'm going to give them my best shot. And well, like two weeks later, uh, I saw them in the hallway. I said, Pastor, come over here. Okay, I know what they're going to ask me. They're talking about football and something else, and they say, hey, pastor, at the end of the day, was Jesus black or white? And I say, you know, I generally don't know the color of Jesus' skin. But I strongly believe that next time 
or whenever it is that you make it to heaven and you see Jesus at the door and you go and greet Jesus, Jesus is going to say, buenos dias. <laughs> and, and, and they laughed and I laughed. But I believe that is so truth. Not about the buenos dias part. But I believe Jesus can relate to me in the same way that can relate to each one of those two. And in the same way that can relate to 50 million uh, you know, people around this country and around this world. We believe in a church that can help people do that. You see, one of the things that we strongly believe in the church is that when Jesus gathered his disciples and they shared communion together, there is something that we celebrate in that moment when Jesus said, because there is one prayer, there is one body. In the same way that Jesus is one for the world, we believe to become one into that. Jesus gathered with 12 disciples, and some of them were from different socioeconomic groups. Yes, mostly, all of them were from Galilee. But at the end of the day, Jesus commanded them to go into the world and share the one bread, the one body. That's what we do as a church. We look around and we look different. We speak different. We think different. We maybe go to the boarding polls and we vote different. We go to Chick-fil-A and we order different things. That's okay. The question is, can we gather about this idea that Jesus Christ came to die for us. And if we can get that, and we can share that with others, this world will be fine. We may not be able to clean up all the Legos in the floor. We'll give it our best shot. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for moments like this, when we can gather and genuinely believe that you send your son Jesus Christ to die for us. God, we recognize that we are not perfect, that we have failed you individually and as a church. God, but we recognize our shortcomings and accept the forgiveness that comes through you. God, we remember that in the night when you gathered with your disciples and as you took bread and you give thanks to God, our Father, God, you you told your disciples, eat this, this is my body that is broken for each one of you. God, and we believe that in the same manner you took the cup and you give thanks. You say, this is my blood that is shed by each one of you. God, so we pray that you will pour out your spirit upon this bread and this juice. God, that as we consume the bread, it can become one in us. In the same way that you are one with the Father, so we can become one with the world. God, we give you thanks for the gift of living in a diverse world when we can simply see how awesome you are and how great you are through the lenses of many people around this world. Thank you for these gifts of bread and juice. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.